Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So Mark, I've been going away a lot. I've had some very short weeks. I don't think I've been at work much of April. Um, And that means I've also been missing our body pump classes. So you've been going alone. I know, which is terrifying for me. So I went alone (laughs) on Friday. And then I went alone Monday this week. And Monday is the instructor that screams at us. Mm -hmm. So I had to face that by myself. And this guy, we always are next to each other. And so- You mean you and me? Yeah. Yeah. And then some guy took your spot, which Mm -hmm. of course is in the back of the room because we hide. Yeah, behind the pole. (laughs) Yeah. And so I kept looking over during- the whole body pump class because normally I look over and I'm like, this sucks yeah. and complain about it. And there's just some random guy there. So, but I'm I'm back. You're back. We'll go to body pump again. You won't have to deal with this on your own. Well, that's good. As long <laughs> as you're always there. Um, so we've had a few investing compass episodes before on income investing. We've covered how to find sustainable income through equities. We've covered the importance of passive income. We've covered Mark's approach to income investing. We've recently had Jody Fitzgerald on the podcast from Morningstar Investment Management, who covered the advantages and disadvantages of income investing. So that that's a lot of episodes on income. We have, but there is a reason for that. It's a goal for a lot of investors, and these episodes have always ended up being up there in terms of our most popular episodes. We're just giving the people what they want. So passive income, as Shani mentioned, is a goal for investors because it's an incredibly appealing concept. All of us are investing to try and improve our lives and generating income outside of our day-to-day jobs is a pathway to doing that while moving towards more financial independence. For those in retirement, income from investments is their sole income. Investors can derive income from a variety of assets. From property, you can collect rent. From equities, you collect dividends. From fixed income, you collect interest payments. And there are a number of ways for investors to get income and also a variety of products. ETFs are increasingly popular with investors. They traditionally tracked indexes, but they've broadened the remit. They now cater for all tastes, preferences, and persuasions. There's passive ETFs, there's active ETFs, there's factor-based ETFs, there's real return ETFs, there's ETFs covering every asset class. We've combined income and ETFs and asked today's guests about the ins and outs of picking a good income ETF. And he's in a pretty good place to do that. Our guest today is Justin Walsh. He's an associate director in our manager research team. And for those of you who attended our conference last year in October, you'd be familiar with Justin. Justin did an ETF elevator pitch. He did, Shani, but today we've asked him to give an overview of how the team rates ETFs, how successful they've been, and what they see as shining stars in the income ETF space. All right, so we have another guest today on Investing Compass, and we have Justin Walsh. Now, Justin is the second member of our manager research team we've had on. So we had Anika Bradley on a couple episodes ago talking about Super. So go back and listen to that episode. But Justin, welcome. And I guess just if you could give a brief introduction about your role at Morningstar and what you cover, that would be a great way to start. Thanks, Mark. And thanks for having me. Um, I'm one of the analysts in uh, the managing research team here at Morningstar. We have more than 10 of us. 
Uh, and I cover all asset classes. So, you know, that would be both equities and fixed income. Um, and as part of that as well, uh, I also oversee our coverage of passive or index funds and both funds and index uh, ETFs as well. So I've got a very wide spread of what I'm responsible for. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. Everything. Just More cover everything. Yeah, exactly. So we talk a lot about our medalist rating on this show and you know, talk a little bit about the process, but it's always better to hear from the people that actually do it. So maybe just a brief overview, and we'll talk about medalist rating a little bit later with some specific securities, but just a brief overview of that process. Sure, Mark. Um, when we talk about the medalist rating, there are three key aspects uh, that we focus on. The first one is the people. Who are the investment personnel who are running the strategy and responsible for it? So that's a very big and important consideration that we have. The next one is the investment process that is used. So how do they actually build portfolios? What, how do they research whatever asset class that they're responsible for? Uh, and then the other consideration is the parent. So these are the three key Ps. And the parent's important because you're really looking at or you want to look for organisations that care for investors. Now, obviously, they're commercial enterprises, but you want people to have checks and balances to try and get the right outcome for investors overall. Now, one additional point is there are two main differences between how we look at active and how we look at passive. Um, in our looking at active funds, both the people and the process have equal weighting and the parent has a lower weighting, whereas when we look at, uh, the, at index or tracking funds, ETF tracking uh, passive indices, the most or the highest rating uh, there is for the investment process. And that's basically the bulk of the rating. Um, because the important thing there is, is that uh, as it's passive, what you want is a really good and efficient index that you're tracking. And no matter how good the people are, if the underlying index that you're tracking is an inferior one, it'll be reflected in the investment outcomes. Okay, great. Well, how about I guess if we go and look in the past, yep. not to put you on the spot, but of course, you know, we talk about these medalist ratings all the time. How successful have they been? Short term, it's been uh, mostly positive, and longer term, as in five and ten years timeframes, uh, this approach has been successful uh, in terms of being able, in terms of those that we rank gold coming out with the strongest. Uh, relative performance against their category peer group and those that we rate negatively having negative outcomes overall, on, on balance overall, which is what you want to see. Um, one other thing that I should point out too in our approach is that fees are very important um, and that when we're looking at these categories and assigning um, weightings uh, to a people or process category. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is we're trying to pick those funds that after fees will outperform the category peer. So when we look at it in that way, we look at the results of that, um, we've found that over you know five and 10 year period so far to date, that our approach has been successful. 
Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. Stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. The topic today is income investing. So this is something that a lot of investors are really interested in, something that we talk about a lot on this show. And I think when a lot of people think about income investing, they're really thinking about buying those direct equities. And we're going to talk about ETFs today. So I mean, why would an investor choose an ETF rather than going out and buying those direct shares, which are so popular with many income investors? Yeah, that's a great question. Why? Well, I think there are three things that really stand out. One is simplicity. If you want to build an income portfolio through stocks, you need to buy a number of stocks. One's not going to do it. Um, cost. Overall, you can buy uh, these ETFs at very low fees. So it's very cost efficient to do so. And thirdly, you get diversification. So as I mentioned earlier, you just can't buy one stock or you perhaps shouldn't buy one stock just for income. What you want to do is to buy multiple stocks and the most efficient way to buy multiple stocks in a cost-efficient manner is via an ETF. So Justin, you talked about the way what you do at work every day and talked about the rigor that goes into our process. But you know what we found is that the average investor, and we certainly preach against this, the average investor, when they're going out there and picking an ETF, generally will just look at performance and just assume that if something did well in the past, it's going to do well in the future. Now, when we talk about income, what a lot of people tend to do is kind of the same thing, just with an income bent to the whole thing. They'll go back and they'll look at the distribution history. And once again, say, if this had a high distribution in the past, they'll have a high distribution in the future. So what are some of the pitfalls about that, what, that approach that many people just take? Look, the biggest pitfall with that is you can fall into what's called a dividend trap. And a dividend trap is that a stock tends to pay high dividend, but it falls in value. So on your analysis, yes, the distribution stays consistently high, but the value of that capital that you've invested falls. And that's something that you would like to avoid because at the end of the day, when you're investing in the stock market and in shares, you'd like your capital to go up and you would also like your dividends to go up. And if your capital keeps falling, over time, your dividend will fall. That's usually a natural law of what happens. Whereas if your capital can keep on increasing, there's a good chance that dividend will keep on increasing as well over time. 
And if we're looking, if we're looking here at different approaches. So obviously you talked about this in the introduction that, you know, there's this pure active approach, a manager or a team is going in there and picking those individual securities. There's a pure passive approach. We're following a broad index. We're trying to invest in it. And then there's more of a factor approach where it may still be tracking an index, but this is an index that's specially designed to capture that factor, that income. So do you have a recommendation among those three approaches if someone's interested in going out there and investing for income? Look, there are different approaches you could have. Um, one that we think that does make a lot of sense uh, is to select a deliberately focused income ETF. So something that's deliberately designed and built to try and capture a higher yield than the market. So that does make sense. There are other approaches that you can do as well. Um, but I think if you're looking for something that's efficient, simple, and cost-effective, um, it's hard to beat uh, a yielding ETF. And this is the difference, right? You were talking earlier, you know, obviously, when you're looking at passive, you're spending a lot of time looking at that process, which is basically the index. So a lot of these are they're indexes. They've been created for a very specific purpose, but is that really the time that you spend on these trying to find a good income ETF? It's looking at that, how the portfolio is constructed, basically how that index is constructed that they're tracking. Yeah. So the index is critical in all this. What is the index? And that has a big influence in terms of our views. What you want in these uh, types of ETFs is you want an index methodology where there's a forward-looking view about dividends because the trouble is if you're just simply backward-looking, what you'll tend to find is that you've got, you're on a high risk of being caught in dividend traps. Now, forward-looking is not completely devoid of issues, um, but it's a more sensible approach to mitigate against them. All right, let's get into some specifics. Yep. So we cover, your team covers, in Australia, four different dividend ETFs. So you have to give me a second as I go through them for everyone. My favorite part is reading out lists on this. So we've got the iShares S&P ASX Dividend Opportunities ETF. So that has the ticker symbol IHD. We have the Russell High Dividend Australia Shares ETF with the ticker symbol ROV. The Spider Miski Australia Select High Dividend Yield ETF with the ticker symbol SYI, and the Vanguard Australian Shares High Yield ETF, the ticker VHY. So, of all of those, we have the highest rating on that Vanguard product that I just mentioned. So, maybe just in summary, and I can ask a couple follow up questions, but why that Vanguard product? Firstly, it has a sensible index. That's the most critical thing. So the FTSE Australian Shares High Yield Index, which Vanguard uses, um, we think captures the opportunity set for yielding high yielding stocks in Australia in the Australian market well, because it's got a forward looking index methodology uh, that mitigates this risk that I mentioned of um, dividend traps, and it does that by 
ensuring it has a forward-looking view on the estimate um, of what uh, companies will pay in terms of dividends. And I think that is probably one of the standout things is why we rated this particular index higher uh, than its competitors. Um, so it's deliberately targeting stocks that pay high dividends and it's got, you know, added to that, not only is the index good, but it's got the most competitive fee of its peers uh, and that makes a big difference on your after-tax uh, returns. And it's got a blended portfolio where the other three have more of a value-style portfolio. This one has a blended. So what that tends to mean is, is that over time, and this reinforces the um, the point I was saying earlier, that you also want to see your capital improve over time or grow over time. By having a more blended portfolio and not being too different to the ASX 200 index, that over time you you won't grow the same way as the overall broad market index will, but you will tend to have similar style returns over time. And that means that when we have periods like we have recently had in Australia where growth stocks have performed very strongly compared to value stocks, you will be able to tend to wear the difference between growth and value much better than some of these other um, ETF tracking indices will. Okay, and maybe let's talk a little bit about that forward-looking piece of thing. So obviously, you know, this is an index. The index has rules that govern what goes in there. This isn't somebody going in there and doing that. So when we're looking at those forward estimates, what is the approach that's taken? What are these rules that are put in there to try to identify those shares? Well, what it does, it takes in consensus um, analyst views, uh, and there's various ways that the uh, professional um, index um, providers can source that. Uh, what they're doing is they're looking at the forward estimates of what companies will pay for dividends, and then they're looking at how high that projected uh, dividend will be, and they're also looking at the history of the dividends as well. So they're looking at the highest possible um, dividends that can be paid and making sure that they're constructing the portfolio so there is a trend towards companies that are growing their dividends going forward. And so they're those two important things, those two important components of growing dividends and consistency of dividends um, that are very important. Yeah, and those are both really important because obviously we're thinking about investor outcomes. And typically, if you're trying to generate income, it may be that you are retired and you're actually living off of that income stream. And, you know, if you think about your own salary, what do you want? Consistency and growth at the end of the day. So, yeah, no, those are really, really important. So the other, uh, the other question I guess I have is you talked about how a lot of these other ETFs are more value focused. And typically, I don't even know if typically is the right word. This is a broad generalization. Value companies are potentially companies that don't have opportunities to invest in that business and grow. A growth company, of course, hopefully does. So they want to invest more in the business. Are you seeing any trade-off, I guess, between yield, current yield, and growth? And how should investors think about that? Well, certainly in the US market is probably where you see this uh, more starkly is that you will have growth companies that just do not pay dividends. They tend to repurchase stock 
um, and they tend to buy businesses, etc. So what that means is that there is not the same um, corporate attitude or corporate desire to pay dividends in the US, uh, and that's because of taxation considerations. So in Australia, we have imputation credits, and it's far more rewarding for companies uh, and their shareholder base, particularly individual shareholders, to receive a dividend. In Australia, similarly, what you do find is that growth companies pay lower dividends because you're right, they invest more in their businesses, but there is more in terms of capital discipline of desire for boards to ensure there is some dividend paid to shareholders. But typically, what you do find is that value companies have less growth options. They're good businesses, they generate a lot of cash, and the best way to return that cash, particularly in the Australian market, is to pay a dividend. And this is one of the issues that you tend to find with a dividend trap is that they're value companies that have pretty good businesses, they generate good cash, but they can be in declining market share, they could be in a business that is uh, gradually dying or you know has really hit a dead end, and that means that you've got great dividends being thrown off, but the business doesn't grow. And the reason why we do like a spread of value in growth companies is that you, again, you want that underlying portfolio, your capital base to be able to grow over time. And if you're too exclusive on high-paying dividend stocks, you can tend to find that you've got a stagnant portfolio that's throwing off quite a good bit of cash, but slowly dying in terms of the capital value. All right, great. And the last question, this should be a very easy one, but I get this all the time, and I think people are confused about this. You talked about franking credits. Yes. And obviously, a big driver for investors in Australia is franking credits. Do you get a franking credit if you invest in a dividend ETF? You'll get what the underlying companies pay because it's a pass-through structure, the ETF, uh, like like a managed fund, an unlisted fund is. So yes, if you are investing in a, you know, these ETFs typically have about 50 stocks and if you aggregate all the dividends that they pay and they're paying uh, 80% of the dividend is, fr- is fully franked, then that is exactly what you will receive. And that's why they're such an efficient vehicle to be able to invest in. Perfect. Yeah, it's amazing how much I get that question. I don't know where people, they think that like Vanguard keeps the franking credit or something <laughs> like that. But yeah, it's amazing that, uh, that everyone seems to think that. But anyway, thank you very much for joining today. Really appreciate it. I know this will be an episode that people are really interested in because uh, they're very interested in income, obviously. So yeah, no, this is great. And a good example of different things you should look at when you're investing in an ETF, not just looking at the past, having a forward view. And yeah, thanks for joining. I appreciate it. Thanks very much, Mark. And thank you for everyone else that listened. Uh, If you have any questions, of course, my email address is in the show notes. And also, we would love any comments in your podcast app. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.